Well, good morning. It's good to have you. We have a wonderful crowd this morning, and we love saying that after all the things we've been through, and we're delighted to see you. have got your Bible. We're going to be in Psalms 23, the most famous psalm of all, and I encourage you to get out a pen. There's four things I want you to write down either on your note card or in Psalms 23 that will help you as we think about our journey through this life. Good to have each of you with us today. It's stormy outside. And it's also stormy in our world today. Stormy in the country, stormy in the global world, stormy in a lot of people's health, stormy in a lot of different places. And how fitting it is that we go and we visit the greatest psalm of all, Psalms 23, and talk about some of those things. There was a preacher who was flying home on a Saturday. It could very well have been my story in a lot of ways. He'd been preaching all week in another place, and he's flying home. Sitting beside him was a senior citizen, a grandma, on her first flight, going down to see the grandkids. And it was an extremely bumpy flight. Up and down, the plane would go. And the preacher had his laptop all up, and he was banging away on his laptop, writing a sermon for the next day. Every time that plane kind of jumped up and down, that little grandma would close her eyes and squeeze the preacher's arm. On and on that went. Finally, at one time, she said, how is it that you can write a sermon during all this stuff? He says, ma'am, if this plane crashes, I'm going to heaven. If it doesn't, i got to preach tomorrow. And you know, that's, <clears throat> that's a lot of us. We look at the world today and we say, you know what? <clears throat> if this is the end, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I walk with Jesus. If not, I've got to carry on. And those are the things that we got to look at as we think about this. Last week, Jason, in his sermon, gave us a wonderful lesson about the idea of mountain ranges. And we talked about how we see great presence of God on the mountain ranges. Jesus' most famous sermon is called the Sermon on the Mountain or the Sermon on the Mount. Moses climbed up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. Julie Andrews sang, I'll climb every mountain. And in our songbooks, we have songs that reflect this idea, hilltops of glory, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. On, on Zion's glorious summit, I stand. But what we want to talk about today is the other side of the mountains, and that's the valleys. The view from the valleys from Psalms chapter 23. In Scott Peck, in his wonderful book called The, Lo the Road Less Traveled, began his book with three simple words. He says, life is difficult. In the book of Job, in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Man born of woman is short-lived and full of trouble. One of our hymns begins, Troublesome times are here. And so when we look at Psalms 23, we're going to see how the psalmist gives us some advice, gives us some wisdom, gives us some help to get through those valleys that are before us. Let's read it. It's such a simple thing. It's a very, very short psalm. Most of us know this. We have heard this all of our lives. We find this printed on those inside of those funeral cards. We see this cross this and hanging on walls. It's something we see everywhere, and we can take it so for granted. We become so used to this, we don't think about it. And so Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this powerful psalm begins with just a wonderful, idyllic picture of green pastures. You see a summertime, and you're laying down in the green grass, and how comfortable that is. You see a, a quiet creek or maybe a farm pond, and there's the still waters. But before we get much deeper in the Psalms, we see a change taking place. In verse 4 and verse 5, he brings up the idea of a valley, and then shadows, and then death, and then evil, and then enemies. All those things suddenly bring terror to our hearts. They change the story to something that doesn't seem so idealistic and so beautiful. And what we see is the troubles we go through sometimes when we go through the valleys. So we begin this, I want you to notice the activity of God. Notice the activity of God as it's demonstrated here. It is God who makes. It is God who leads. God restores. God guides. He says, you are with me. It's God is with us. They, God, what God prepares comforts us. God prepares and God has anointed. Over and over in this passage, what we're seeing is the activity of God. God is busy. God is doing things. But what also stands out in this passage, so similar to that last song we just sang, Thou thinkest of me. Notice the personal nature of this psalm. Notice the pronouns he uses. He's just not the Lord of Israel. He's not the Lord of the universe. He's not the God of the globe. He is my shepherd, and he makes me to lie down. He leads me beside the quiet waters. It is my soul that he restores. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. You are with me, he says. He says, you, you comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head. My cup overflows Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see that? God is busy, and God is thinking of you. Now, throughout our Bibles, we find multiple, multiple times when God's people were taken through the valleys. I mean, that's almost on every page of our Bible. We start in the book of Genesis, we talk about the suffering of Abel. We can go all the way to the book of Revelation, talk about the suffering of the saints we find there. We talk about Joseph and Moses and David and Daniel, Jeremiah, Hosea and Ezekiel and Elijah. All of them faced troubles. There was fiery furnaces. There were lion's dens. There were prisons. There were famines. There was deserts. There were storms. There was disease. Even Jesus talked about the floods and the rains that would crash against houses. Suffering is not new to the people of God. In the book of Exodus, very early, as, as God's people were in Egypt, it says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and the cry for help because of their bondage rose up to the Lord. They cried out. You ever done that at night? Family problems, health problems, things aren't going well. Book of Psalms, chapter 22, we think of this psalm as being to Jesus, and it's fulfilled in Jesus in the, in the New Testament, but 
originally it was to the person who wrote this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from deliverance are the words of my groanings. My God, he says, I cry day and night, but you do not answer me. I have no rest, he says. In chapter 18, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and, he, and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple, and the cry for help before him came into my ears. In chapter 56, you've taken account of my wonderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book, he says. Chapter 6, I am weary with sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with tears. These are troublesome times that the, the psalmist was going through. New Testament, we find the Apostle Paul saying this, To this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed and roughly treated. We are homeless. We toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even to now. In the book of Revelation, we find this warning. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Let that sink in for a minute. He didn't say, I'm going to take it away. Storm clouds are coming on the horizon, but I'm sending my angels. I'm sending rainbows to you. He said, you're going to suffer. You're about to suffer, he says. Behold, the devils will cast some of you into prison, so you'll be tested and you'll have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, he says, and I will give you the crown of life. So four lessons I want you to learn from Psalms chapter 23. How do I get through these valleys? First lesson we need to see and appreciate is God intends for us to go through these valleys. He's following the shepherd, and the shepherd took him right through those valleys. It's not like I, I took a wrong turn. I'm supposed to go that way, and here I am in this dark valley. No, I'm following the shepherd. It's not that I did something wrong. It's not a mistake in my life. He was doing what he's supposed to do, and it put him right in that valley. It was occasion in the Gospels when Jesus went up to pray. He told his disciples to get in the boat and go across the sea. And when they got in that boat, there came a storm. There came a storm when they obeyed Jesus. Now let's understand, appreciate a little bit of the language from Psalms 23. It's easy for us to think of valleys looking like this. Green meadows, just a little hilly, maybe like Tennessee, some places like that around here. But more likely, it was like this. Hard cliffs. We may think about this idea of how desperate these things were, more like a gorge. And a sudden hard rainfall, these gorges would fill up with water, it'd be instant death. How dark these things were, how scary these things were. That's the idea why he's following through. He couldn't see to the other end. Now those big valleys, you can kind of see to the end. These things you can't see to the end. And so some lessons we learn right away is, number one, these valleys can be a lot longer than we anticipated. Some of you know that lesson. You may have some medical issues, and you thought, well, you know what? Take a couple of pills. I'm, it's over. It's not over. Maybe a, a, a surgery, and all's healed, and it's not healed. Some of you have family issues, and you're, and you're getting into decades dealing with these issues. These valleys can be a lot longer than we anticipated. These valleys can be a lot scarier than we thought, too. And when we think about all the things that happen, we don't know what's around the corner, and that can be scary. And then these valleys can require much more faith than we thought we had, more faith and more courage. And though we have this faith and, we courage, and this courage, we did not understand how important these things were. 
So lesson number one, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God wants you to follow him. We need to see that. Number two, God intends for these valleys to make us better. And these valleys should bring some things to our minds. Now, why in ancient Israel would a shepherd lead the flock through the valley? Most times, they had eaten the grass in the lowlands. They were going up to the highlands. And up in the highlands was going to be more pasture. Up in the highlands was going to be cooler weather. Up in the highlands is where they needed to be. But to get to the highlands, they had to go through these dark valleys, as it mentions. Now, for us, they open our eyes to the goodness of God. Now, everything those dark valleys have, God takes care of. Sometimes they're lonely. No one knows what you're going through sometimes but you. But the passage says, God is with me. Sometimes they're unsettling because we simply don't know. But the passage reminds us that God comforts us. And sometimes they're scary, but the passage reminds us through faith in God, I will fear no evil. And so God intends, as you go through these valleys, to learn some lessons. The valleys are God's schoolroom. The valleys are God's teachers. We see things in the valleys we see nowhere else. And not only do they open our eyes, but these valleys can change our hearts. Get your Bible now. Turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And again, James brings up this idea, this unsettling concept of trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And we stop there for a moment. That, 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 that seems backwards. Consider it all joy when you have a birthday party. Consider it all joy when someone gives you a gift. Consider it all joy when you're feeling good. Consider it all joy when everything works out just as you thought. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. That is a good day. But James is saying, you got trials? Consider. Because what's going to happen? Read on down the passage, James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, or patience, we might say. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And so God is using these things to help us become a better people, to be a more patient people, and to be the people that God wants us to be. Number three, as we think about this, these valleys give us the experience to help other people. In Revelation chapter 2, we had on our slides, well, I'll go verse 10, about the coming trials. And he would say in the very next verse, Revelation 2 verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The scars of victory, a heart that understands and will sympathize, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know that expression, the handicapped child, the prodigal, the spouse who left you, the death, all those things not only help us, they allow us to help others. Story of a very successful businessman. An old friend from high school showed up, came to visit him at the office. On his shelves in his office were all these trophies, all sizes, all kinds. 
And his friend from high school started looking at these trophies. Here was a trophy for rolling a perfect game in bowling. 300, he got a trophy. Over here was a trophy for a hole-in-one in golf. Over here was this trophy, that trophy, this trophy. And he was amazed. He started looking at these trophies and noticing the dates on them. The dates aren't adding up right. He's looking at the names. And it wasn't the name of his friend. He said, well, explain all this. He says, well, I bought these at garage sales. Aren't they impressive? <laughs> yeah, you can buy a, a, bowling a bowling trophy at a garage sale, but it doesn't mean you did it. A lot of people want the trophies, but they don't want the victories. They don't want the, what it takes to have the victories. And so these experiences will help us. They will help us become exactly what God wants us to be. A great poem once said this. It says, I walked a mile with Pelazer. She chatted all the way, but left me none the better for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and ne'er a word, said she. But all the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You got some things going on in your life? Who do you want to talk to? Somebody has no idea or somebody who's been through some dark canyons ahead of you? Somebody who maybe has experienced the death of a child. Somebody who has experienced the breakup of a marriage. Someone who's experienced the heartache of failing health or other things. You see, these valleys, God intends to make us better and in process to help other people along the way. Number three, as we think about this, these valleys are opportunities for us to seek the Lord. And he really bears this out two different ways in this context here. The first way he bears this out is, is by this change. Up to verse 4, he talks about God. But then from verse 4 on, he talks to God. Notice this in Psalm 23. Notice how it begins. The Lord. He's talking generically about God. This is what God has done. This is who God is. But now when you get to verse 4, notice this. You. At verse 5, you. What happens is he quits talking about God and starts talking to God. It becomes a prayer. The Psalms shifts from talking about God to praying to God. And so what these valleys do is they present opportunities for us to seek God and to do what God wants us to do. The other way this is found is in the proclamation, I will fear no evil. Not because he was brave in himself, he will fear no evil because of God's presence. God's rod and God's staff will comfort him. They are getting through those things. And so his courage, his faith is not in himself, but it's in God. And so when we have valleys we go through, whether they're health issues, whether they're global troubles, whether anything there are, we see that God wants us to use these opportunities to seek him. Mark 4 and Mark 5 is one of my favorite sections in the Bible. It's fast-paced. There's a series of a lot of miracles right packed in there. And what they do is they present fearful events. Mark 4 ends with a storm. So violent that the disciples wake Jesus up and said, we are perishing. Do you not care we are perishing? Here's a storm they thought was going to kill them. And Jesus calmed the storm. As soon as they hit the shore, chapter 5 begins, and a demon-possessed man runs right at him. And they get back in the boat. Jesus cures the demon, puts the demons into pigs, and the pigs go into the sea, and they drown. They get to the other side, 
And there's a woman who has an issue of blood. She's been to doctors. She's tried everything. She's broke. She has no hope. She has no one who can cure her, but Jesus heals her. And they journey on to the home of a synagogue official whose little girl had just died. And Jesus said to her, arise. Here are four fearful things. And Jesus cured them all. And so that's the power we see. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 18. I want you to notice a couple of phrases here. Luke 18, then we're going to go to John 14. But in Luke 18, Jesus uses this expression as he begins a section about prayer. Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times you ought to pray and not to lose heart. Well, now, when I read Psalms 23, I got a lot of reasons I can lose heart. Number one, there's valleys. Number two, there's death. Number three, there's evil. Number four, there's enemies. There's four reasons, God, why I'm going to be afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Pray. Now, turn over to John 14, if you will. Again, notice this connection. John chapter 14. We look at verse 1, then we're going to jump down to verse 27. John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled, believe also in me. Then verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, but do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now once you notice, Jesus says let. Okay, I can't do anything about the rain outside. I can't say let the sun shine, that's not my power. I can't stop the storms outside, but what Jesus is saying is you can keep the storms outside from coming inside. You are in charge. You control this. Do not let your heart be troubled. That means be discouraged. And you know what happens when you're discouraged? You've been there. I've been there. I just don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like talking to anybody. I don't feel like getting out of bed today. Why? Are you sick? Do I need to call the doctor? No. I just got the blues. I'm just discouraged. I'm a little depressed. That's all those things. And Jesus is saying, don't get there. Don't let these valleys do that. Now, back up to the beginning of the chapter, John chapter 14. And this, he tells us two things. How do I let it not happen, Jesus? Easy to say. Storms come. I'm scared. I'm worried. What do I do? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe. Believe. Faith. Just as was read from us from Psalms chapter 18, God is our refuge. Believe. And then when you look also in the very next verse, verse 2 and verse 3, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Trust. Trust in the promises of God. Philip's translation simply says this, you must not let yourselves be distressed. And Peterson says, don't let this throw you. Health problem? National problem, family problem, global problem, is it going to throw you? Or is your heart not going to be discouraged by these things? That's the concept there. And so God intends these valleys to be opportunities to seek him. 
Valleys will lead you to pray more, probably deeper and harder than you've ever prayed. And that's what God wants. God wants you trusting him and relying upon him. He is the hope. He's the one who's leading us. He's going to be our answer. The answer is not in the White House, the State House, or the Courthouse, or even the Church House. The answer is in God's house. Secondly, walk closer to the Lord. Now, let me say this kindly. I see the opposite so many times today. There's a death, there's a tragedy, and a family doesn't show up for weeks. Weeks and weeks, where are they? I can't come to church because there's been a death. The death has happened. The funeral's over. We've got months past there, and you're still not coming. Why? Maybe I lost my faith. God wants these valleys to lead us to walk closer to him, lean more heavily upon the Lord, and worship him more, not less. And that leads us to our final point, four things from Psalms 23, and that is God intends for us to make it through on the other side. God does not intend for you to die in this valley. God does not intend for the valley to be the victor. God does not intend for the valley to accomplish what it's going to accomplish. God intends you to make it through to the other side. And on the other side is where God wants you to be. On the other side is the hope. Notice the language he uses. To our heads, he's going to anoint them. We first of all think about Aaron and the priest how they were anointed by Moses before they could serve God. We think about Samuel anointing David to be the king of Israel. What a divine appointment that is. What a special thing that is. Your head, anointed by God. That's because you've made it through to the other side. Your cup, your cup doesn't have something in it. It overflows. You've got more than enough. The blessings of God he's describing there. And what's following right behind you, just turn around and look, and what do you see is goodness and loving kindness. They follow you because you're following the Lord. And then your residence with the Lord is forever. Forever. And that's the powerful thing he wants us to see. In the book of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, the aged Apostle Paul was writing his last sentences by inspiration. He realized it was just a matter of time before Caesar's heavy hand would come down and he'd be executed. And he would say in verse 16 and verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear and was delivered out of the lion's mouth. It may be sometimes in your life you say, well, you know, where was the church? I needed them, and they weren't here. Where was my family? I needed my family, and my family wasn't here. There may be situations in your life you say, I feel like I'm alone. But Paul says, I wasn't alone. God was with me. And he wasn't just with me. He strengthened me. He helped me. It was a valley, and I got through to the other side. And that's the thing that we need to see. That's what's so powerful about the simple, simple little psalms as we think about that. Troublesome times indeed are here, but that doesn't mean there's trouble in our hearts. We believe and we know, and as we say so often, the best is yet to come. They said that the famous baseball player Lou Gehrig, who for decades and decades 
held the record of most consecutive games played, played over 2,000 games without ever taking a day off. And they said after he finally retired, he had a disease that forced him to retire. We call it the Lou Gehrig's disease. And in all his medical tests he was going through, they did a lot of x-rays. And they found out that every single finger of his hand had been broken. One had been broken five times. No one ever knew it. Never told the coaches, never told the owner. He picked up his bat and kept playing injured. And we look in this room this morning, and we've got some of the same things. We've got some folks who are injured, injured by health, but here you are honoring your God. We've got some families who are injured by emotional things, and lots of things are racing through your mind, and sometimes you wonder about these things, but here you are. And what we find out is it's to the victors, it's to those who overcome that makes a difference. Bruised hearts, Christ feelings, people who ought to apologize, but they will not apologize. People who ought to accept our apology, but they won't accept that. In strange families, brethren who avoid each other, jealous, suspicious, questioning your motives, all kinds of things can be racing through our hearts. But the Lord is my shepherd. I am his, and he is mine. Now, I was talking to Jason the other day, in my love of history, I have a, a vast volume of a lot of old stuff. I got one room, it's just old. Jason likes to smell. I said, well, you reason I like to smell that room because it's old. <laughs> but I've been reading some gospel advocates from 1942. The world was at war. Brethren were scared, and they didn't know what to do. And through the writings of folks back then, through the preaching of a lot of good brethren back then, the answer was the same. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the outcome. But God is on the throne. And that's the answer we have to understand. Whether we talk about what's going on in Europe, whether we talk about what's going on in your body, whether we talk about what's going on in your family, whether we talk about what's going on in this church, God is upon the throne. And he wants me to follow him. And sometimes where he's going to lead you is not where you want to go. I don't want to go through a valley. I want to go up to the mountaintop. I don't want to go in there because it's dark, and I can't see through it, and it's scary. I'd rather just sit here in this green meadow where you led me and just let's just stay here, God, for about a lifetime. But he says, get up. I like this calm water here. Let's just stay here and drink a whole bunch, and we'll be fine. God says, get up. I've got you go someplace, and I want you to follow me. But I don't know where it's going to go. But I know my God. I don't know the outcome. But I know my God. And I don't know how hard this is going to be. But I know my God. And that's what gets us through life. And that's what I want us to see as we think about the times we're in. Yes, we're in troublesome times. But God is our shepherd. Don't say, let's get through this as quickly as we can. Let's just get this out of our mind, out of our memory. Let's just forget everything as quick as we can. Let us look openly with our eyes. Let us see there's lessons to be learned. Let us see some good things can happen. Broken and bruised, maybe limping, we press on because God is our shepherd. This morning, I hope this will give us some things to think about, some things you can kind of tuck away because things keep coming up in your life. They keep well. We've had so many family members here who've had to bury loved ones. I was at my dad's grave yesterday, just standing there looking, thinking, thinking, and thinking. But you know, all of us have to go through these valleys. All of us have hardships we have to face. 
And what we need to see is these can be the things that destroy us. These can be the reasons for us to quit. These can be the reasons we turn around and leave that valley. Or we can stay right behind Jesus, so close we can see him. And when we get to the other side, what a better person we are. What better character we are. What better insights we have. Because we have walked with the Lord. I am his, and he is mine. If we can be of any help to you this morning, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.